I think the most important thing a CEO or founder can do is lead their teams well and with humility. You know, there is not a, a founder or business leader in the world who has been through something like what we're going through right now. So it's leveled the playing field a bit um, around what good leadership should look like. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week. On this week's show, we have Melanie Strong, managing partner at Next Ventures, a new venture capital firm designed to maximize growth opportunities in the exploding sports, fitness, nutrition, wellness markets. Next Ventures is led by Lance Armstrong, a globally known cyclist and endurance athlete, Lionel Conacher, a lifelong multi-sport athlete with over 32 years experience in capital markets and eight years in private equity. Mel has spent most of her life in the sports industry and believes that access to a healthy and active lifestyle can transform culture. She spent over 17 years at Nike, leading international marketing teams across running, women's soccer and training, and worked on all of Nike's digital sports and tracking products. Most recently at Nike, she was vice president and general manager for their skateboarding business, so she's had quite a broad experience across the organization, and we actually delve into how she came to make the leap from Nike into the world of VC. Currently, she also serves as the advisor to Nike's Accelerator Valiant Labs, sits on the board of performance brand PowerDot, and is an advisor to the photography app VSCO. Mel and her husband also run a mountain bike touring company uh, in Hood River, Oregon. Mel is incredibly passionate and astute about the areas of investment in sports, fitness, health, and wellness technology, so it's an absolute delight to have her on the show. Thanks again for listening to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams, uh, from the Sports Tech World Series. And right now we have our interview with Melanie Strong. Melanie Strong, Managing Partner at Next Ventures. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Great to have you on the show. So Next Ventures is a first-time uh, investment fund for sports, wellness, fitness, uh, technology. Um, but yourself and the other partners involved, uh, anything but first-timers in the world of sports and fitness. Can you share a little bit about uh, your career background so far, and also what attracted you to working with Next Ventures? Sure. I grew up in the sports space. I actually started, well, I started running as a, a high school and college kid, and then ended up doing a lot of sports writing. I have a journalism degree, and so I've been doing some work at Runner's World and the Washington Post, and found my way to Nike. So I spent almost two decades working at Nike in a whole variety of different businesses and different roles. And it was kind of like an MBA for me. I learned a ton about how to drive a business, how to lead teams through change. And, you know, I got to a place where I sort of realized there were two paths for most of my peer group at Nike. Either you could stick it out uh, and retire and be perfectly happy by the way, uh, in doing so, or you could leave and take another big corporate job. somewhere else in the world. And neither of those paths really appealed to me. So about five years ago, I started to explore what a a third path might look like and had found a lot of um, joy out of working with founders. So, you know, you get to meet some amazing companies, amazing entrepreneurs in the Nike space and had done some advising of a few of those founders and started to really dig into the VC space, which frankly, I, I knew absolutely nothing about maybe five years ago. Um, and realized a couple things. So one, there were obviously incredible founders and entrepreneurs in the space of sports and fitness technology. I was very inspired by them, very inspired by their ability to move a bit faster than a bigger company like Nike could, 
And then I think most surprising for me, I realized I could actually add a ton of value there. Um, I don't have the normal pedigree of a VC, I've now learned. <laughs> but at the time, uh, you know, I didn't know that, which was probably a good thing, right? Yeah. So I had all this experience um, on the marketing, go-to-market and business side. Uh, I love working with people and I know a lot about sports and fitness. So uh, it seemed like a no-brainer for me to figure out how to get into this space. Um, and so I started to basically interview firms. Uh, you know, again, you have this unique opportunity um, at my stage in my career to have that kind of relationship with firms where it really felt like I was interviewing a possible next team. And despite having a lot of respect for the bigger firms out there, really wanted to be on the front end of a new firm. So in all the ways my Nike career um, had allowed me to experience what a bigger, more robust organization felt like, one that had been doing things a certain way for a really long time, very successfully. I wanted to be in a totally different space where we were learning together. We were really humble. Um, there was no perception bias about, you know, this is the way we've always done things. And so I knew I wanted to be part of a new team with all of those fresh mindsets and fresh point of view around this space. And so that's when I met Lance and Lionel, my two partners. So Lance Armstrong is a name I think most folks are probably familiar with. Um, and he, in his sort of post-cycling career, had been re-emerging, and I think with a lot of humility around where he could add value at this stage in his life um, and everything that he's learned, and frankly learned from, from the bad as well as the good. So I got reconnected to Lance and learned a little bit about what he was thinking in this chapter, and then met my other now managing and business partner, Lionel Conacher. Lionel has years and years of banking and investment and private equity experience um, and decided to try things out with them. So I joined as an advisor first in January of 19, just to see how the fund operated, how my two perhaps future partners work together, what the advisory board felt like. Um, and I left Nike in June and, and despite wanting to take a little more time off, was sort of drawn to the work so much that by October, I, I came to Lance and Lionel, and I'm like, you guys should just hire me. Like, this, this is awesome. Um, so I became the third partner last October. Fantastic. And is there something that being a first-time VC brings to it? I guess not being part of the, um, the Patagucci vest um, <laughs> parade. For, any, for anyone outside of the US, or if you, if you haven't met with VCs, the Patagonia vest is the, it's the, um, it's the uniform of VCs. And I say that in jest because I own Patagonia clothes and I think they're a great brand. But um, is there something that a fresh perspective, um, maybe not taking that traditional um, career path into VC or coming into a first time um, VC brings to it? Absolutely. And I would say that those I know, specific assets, I suppose, we bring to VC as, as fresh thinkers and newcomers are probably even more valuable now during the world we're living in, sort of post-COVID. Um, I think, like every industry, there, there is a time when it is important to allow newcomers and fresh thinking and disruptors. Um, I also think that perception bias works for a period, but during an economic or health crisis or cultural crisis like the one we're living through today, I also think humility around 
leaning on our instincts as well as a team of trusted advisors and mentors can probably push us into interesting space that a more established veteran firm might not want to go into, whether because there's little incentive to do so or because it is riskier or because they're so large that they can't respond as quickly as we might be able to. So I do think that being a first-time VC is, especially right now, a huge asset for us. We found that to be the case. Uh, we have had to work a little harder when, because we're raising our, our fund right now, we've had to work a little harder to explain uh, to investors why that um, advantage is truly an advantage. But honestly, that has been a really easy conversation to have. We all also have lots of other experiences that I think we can use to position ourselves in a place where being a first timer um, is actually quite interesting for investors in this space. Um, yeah. and I, I guess the last thing I'd say is we are sort of unique. I've, I've loved your podcast. I've, I've listened to quite a few of them. Um, and I loved in particular listening to the team from Stadia a couple months ago. And we work really closely with Stadia and Courtside and a handful of other awesome VCs in the sports technology space. And I think another advantage for us as first timers is we have to stay really focused. So whereas uh, many VCs in this world of sports and tech and fitness tech are also looking at fan experience and e-gaming and betting, we are very, very focused right now on performance. So what are those technologies and innovations that are helping both high-performing athletes perform better, uh, but also hopefully like everyday athletes, all of us perform better. So I think staying really focused with our first fund on that space is also going to help us a lot. Mm. Oh, it's the, it's the startup mentality, but bringing that to VC in the same way about benefits of startups and young companies is they're nimble, they're agile, they're quick. Um, they take risks, but, you know, calculated ones and they, they look for the value um, and really kind of focus on, on growing that value in, in niche areas I mean, disrupting in that way. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with the, the VC space. So, uh, and speaking about that, you're saying focusing on performance. So looking at investment opportunities in sports, fitness, nutrition, wellness, everything about human performance it was it Nike said if you've if you've got a body you're an athlete um, that idea that, that, that that's a that's a very broad market um, but also quite niche but where do you see them kind of crossing over because people think sports and I think sports and I think um, and when people come to us and say sports technology well what about fitness I say they're, they're actually distinct unique um, verticals um, where do you see them kind of crossing over between that? And maybe if you could share your definition of, of the differences between um, those markets. Sure. I think we have learned either through our own experience as athletes, and certainly Lance has his unique perspective as a, an elite athlete, but Lionel and I both grew up as athletes and then also grew up surrounded by athletes in the sports space. And so <clears throat> I think we all noticed a few things related to that. So as High-performing athletes, if you're on a team or part of a more privileged journey to becoming an athlete, frankly, you have an opportunity to get access to services and technologies and coaching and advice and sort of the best of the best in sports to help you perform better, to help you prevent injury, to help you recover faster. Um, that is a very elite journey. And so all the cards need to be stacked in your favor in order for you to perform at the top of 
whatever sport or category you compete in. I think we also all collectively realized that there were lots of barriers of entry. And if you can find ways to remove those barriers, you could scale those same technologies and innovations to a broader population. So what we like about our thesis, and this has paid off with, frankly, every one of our investments so far, um, is if you look for those technologies that right now serve that most elite consumer, and I would put military probably in that class as well, of folks who have a very highly tuned um, sort of expectation for how their products and services in their lives can help them perform better. If you look at that vetting process of what it takes for a brand or a product to become a necessary tool uh, in the toolbox of an athlete, we look at ways for that technology then to scale to um, kids, kids who may not have the same access to high level coaching and training tools, but could absolutely benefit from those um, innovations. Or we look to underserved populations or senior athletes who also wanna to continue to lead you know, active and healthy lives, but don't maybe have the same access. So I think we start with that kind of um, top of the, the funnel of that high performing athlete because they do have choice. They probably have privilege. They probably have access to lots of different innovations. And if they are picking a certain innovation in the space of sleep, nutrition, recovery, training, coaching, performance. We think that that's the sort of initial process, the vetting process of how that technology could scale even further to be an advantage for, um, for anyone, anyone who wants to sleep better, feel better, live a healthier life. So it's, so it's, scaling, it's mm -hmm. scaling from the sports side into say fitness. Sure. Um, so it's, it's that, um, I guess that's where you start. You start at sports and then that, um, probably puts out, would you, would you put in that sense and say, I guess, concentric rings. I know this is audio and this is a podcast and me trying to talk about visual, visual descriptions. I'm a visual learner. It doesn't work on a podcast, but I guess the concentric circles of when the center is sports and or elite athletes within sports and then broader to that is, is fitness. And then broader to that again is health. Um, if you, you're bringing in say, uh, grandma, you know, looking, making sure that she can stay in her own, in her own home and you're putting a, some sort of tracking um, wearable on her that measures her heart rate, which could have started life as a something for an elite, um, you know, an elite special forces soldier or a, I don't know, a QB or something like that. Um, so kind of flowing through. Is there something, is there something that in the investment space that's changed during COVID-19 across these, have they just started to kind of meld more? Or is it one of those things that, what have the changes been, if there have been any changes? Oh my gosh, yeah, so many. I mean, I want to acknowledge your question because I think it's an interesting one and it's frankly not one I've considered and I have to say my answer is the difference between sports and fitness is for me largely semantic. Yeah. Because, um, you know, and wellness has also become sort of a, I don't know, for whatever reason, a charged word, uh, especially in, in our, our space. But the mindset is similar, right? It is truly about performing at your best. If you use the word fitness to describe your lifestyle, it is still about performing your best through the lens of fitness products. Yeah. If you're an athlete, you're still wanting to perform better, but it's through the lens of sports. 
which just may be a little bit more um, competitive perhaps. Yeah. But I think the mindset and expectation is very similar. And you could say that the same for health and wellness overall, that outer ring that you describe. I think the mindset and frankly the expectations and then the ability to scale benefit through all three of those concentric circles are very similar. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of change in our space since COVID. And I honestly hope that some of these behavior shifts stick over time. One, obviously, is that more people are worried about their health and actively trying to do something about it. So in the ways research, as much as it's changing every day, indicate that if you are of a healthy weight and spending time outdoors, and so getting a healthy level of vitamin D exposure, sleeping well, reducing stress and anxiety, which is really hard right now. But if you can do those things, even if you are exposed to COVID, your symptoms will be less severe than someone who is morbidly obese, not sleeping well, not dealing with stress, and is vitamin D deficient. Whether that's the lens of shopping behavior, so there's been an explosion of demand for sports equipment, bikes. Really exciting to see that bicycle sales around the world are up, depending mm. on where you are, two to five percent or two to five x. Um, obviously, in home and at home fitness and training technology has increased in demand as folks feel less comfortable going to work out in gyms. Um, and it, as much as I also know that when we're allowed to do so, people will crave community and crave physical experiences again with other people. I do think that there'll be more of an opportunity to retain some of this in-home fitness and training experience because it, again, reduces barriers. It makes it easier for folks who can't afford a gym membership or don't have time to drive to their local gym uh, to still be able to integrate that behavior into their lives. So I hope that that sticks. Um, the other areas where in our deal flow, we're seeing way more opportunities than before COVID. Um, I, you know, they're in three categories, I would say. The first is sleep. There are more and more companies and frankly, more and more investors who are specifically focused on sleep. Sleep technology, ranging from wearables to pillows, to mattresses, to uh, white noise machines to, you know, 360 data to surround yourself with the information you need to set yourself up for a great night of sleep. Two, I'm really happy to see that mental health has become destigmatized as a topic, yeah. largely due to every single one of us dealing with a pandemic and the stress the economic burden, the anxiety, the feeling of hopelessness, depression, all the things that I think we're all collectively experiencing right now um, have allowed this topic to become an okay thing to talk about. And in the investment space, I think it's really important that we walk the walk of supporting companies and technologies that are looking after um, that opportunity. And then third, there's been an explosion of coaching and training platforms. So rightfully so, I think people are very worried about what the future of athletics are going to look like. Kids aren't able to be coached and trained and be part of leagues. Um, and by the way, that journey was already uh, restricted to those families who could afford 
mm -hmm. give their kids that opportunity. So I'm really excited about seeing a wide array of services and technologies in the space of coaching and training, how to bring what used to be reserved for pro athletes into the home of a family with three kids who all want to learn how to play baseball. Mm. How cool is that? Now you can go in your backyard with your parents or with your friends eventually and learn how to you know, play baseball with the best. Um, I think that those are really exciting shifts in our deal flow. Um, and hopefully, again, areas of opportunity that will stick post-COVID. Yeah, definitely. It's the, um, the democratization uh, of technology or, or the democratizing force of technology is bringing what was formerly for the elites um, down to the every person level and, and truly the every person level rather than just saying, well, whoever's got the most money to spend, spend it on specialized coaching, um, especially at a youth, a youth level. Um, and yeah, that's, that's something that, um, the trend that I'm really excited about as well and, and seeing the ways that they can do that. And I'd also say the, uh, the mainstreaming of some of these at home fitness technologies. I know, um, you're an avid, uh, cyclist as am I, um, obviously Lance has done a little bit of cycling his time as well. So, um, it's probably a thread that runs through the organization. Uh, but it's something like Peloton or other at home things. It, there was always a stigma about. Um, at least anecdotally, and, and you'd also see arguing the sales of, of and the value of these products of doing something at home. It's like, well, you're not hardcore enough if you're not getting out there and you're going up a mountain yourself. Um, whereas now they've really been brought into the fold of these communities um, and seeing some of the virtual events kind of early on in COVID, um, you know, virtual races where you had, uh, I mean, Ironman did it, for instance. They were doing Ironman competitions with people on their bikes in their lounge rooms, which is amazing to see, you know, um, some of the athletes and their kids are just kind of sitting next to mum or dad who's just currently in the Hurt Locker um, doing the equivalent of Kona um, uh, uh, cycle. So it's one of those things that, that that's cool as well, that it's, it's, it's bringing that all together, giving it a, a sense of um, community as well which might be one of those next waves that we see is how do you really go? Well, it's connected in the sense of intelligently um, to data and to the internet as a connected device. How does it then connect people better between all that? Um, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about that. You know, as in my, my former life and still today at Nike, we worried a ton about the reduced participation rates for kids in sports throughout the world, but specifically for young girls. You know, it's, it can be a very intimidating journey, right? Um, for anyone as a child to figure out how to get exposed to sports without feeling like you don't belong, um, how to get surrounded with the right amount of support, but not too much, you know? And so I love that it feels like that arrogance is stripped away a bit now and we're just celebrating people doing something great with their bodies yes. it doesn't matter how long or how hard or what you look like but if you're out there just trying to make yourself feel better and encouraging your family and your loved ones to also make themselves better that's enough mm. and I, so I, I do see that as well and it gives me so much hope that there will be more people who will feel invited in the space of triathlon or endurance sports or cycling or running or rowing because some of those barriers have been removed. Yeah, definitely. You see it with um, 
uh, Joe Wicks, and this is more on the kind of fitness side, and that was just YouTube videos, but like uh, offshoots of that, um, how insanely popular that was um, out of the UK. Um, and he was just doing daily workouts and he was very much about, you know, positive reinforcement, do it to whatever level you can. Um, not that intimidating hoo-ha, um, you know, you've got to kill yourself because it's people in their lounge rooms um, and even some level of activity is, is incredibly important. So uh, kind of second last question for you, what advice do you give um, founders in your portfolio companies? And you can take this whatever way you want, kind of business advice, kind of mentoring advice. Um, what's some of the kind of key gems? Let's give up all your secrets, your secret sauce. <laughs> sure. I think the most important thing a CEO or founder can do is lead their teams well and with humility. You know, there is not a, a founder or business leader in the world who has been through something like what we're going through right now. So it's leveled the playing field a bit um, around what good leadership should look like. And I'm really proud of our portfolio companies because to a company, every leader has prioritized their team first, their employees, um, and everyone sort of connected to or dependent on that company. How are they feeling right now? Do they feel safe? Do they have the right amount of support? Um, and then I think that the, the next phase of that is looking at the community you serve and how are you showing up as a brand right now in a way that means something that isn't just about approaching that relationship with your consumer from a transactional perspective. Um, I have a heavy bias towards brand strategy because I've worked on that for so long at Nike. And I think the brands that will survive this moment economically and culturally, frankly, are the brands that have done that work of establishing who they are and creating an emotional connection to their consumer. Yeah. It, and I mean, Nike's a, a gold standard for that as well. And their, their response during the pandemic and also things like the Black Lives Matter, um, all that, all that kind of stuff, like their, their response has been for a brand, um, to my mind, a fairly much a gold standard. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's, uh, I think it's great to see big brands who have more to lose, frankly, um, go and take a stand on things that matter, right? And so, again, I think that is the most important thing any company can do right now is first think about their people and their community and what they stand for and have hopefully already done the work of creating a values-driven business. You know, even before COVID, we were spending a lot of time looking at this generation of kids just graduating from college, call them what you will, Gen Z, <clears throat> sort of the, the later stage millennials. This generation is not going to be spending their money on companies that aren't aligned with their values. And by the way, one of their biggest values is health and wellness, which is so important. So that's the first kind of work we do with our portfolio is really spend time thinking about team and culture, supporting your people, and then walking the walk on those values, both inside your company and then externally and how you show up to your community and your consumer. The second piece of, of protecting our companies at a time like this is making sure that they own something that's very defensible. So this is part of our due diligence process. And so in each case with our investments, we have determined that there is something unique that this company owns that no other company can do for them, right? Whether it is a patent or technology or trademark that they own or um, 
a first mover advantage, or in some cases, it's a really established and loved brand. Um, so this company has spent the time to develop something meaningful that gives them sort of permission with their consumer to shift gears and launch new products and focus on new services during a time of crisis when perhaps they don't have the ability to do the thing that they have been doing as effectively. If you haven't spent the time to build the brand, um, it's not likely your community is going to support you shifting gears yeah. trust you in a new space, frankly, because you haven't proven that they deserve your trust. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, as you said, a pandemic uh, kind of starkly highlights that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. Um, really interesting discussion there and, and lots of uh, key takeaways um, for me personally out of that. And uh, final question, as we ask all our guests, what is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Oh, man. So... <laughs> I have a longtime mentor um, and spirit animal, um, uh, an Olympic runner named Joan Benoit Samuelson. Uh, and many of your listeners might be too young to remember Joni, but Joni ran the 1984 LA Olympics. It was the first Olympics where the women's marathon was an official sport. Prior to that, women were actually... Um, not allowed or discouraged from running marathon distances because it might make us sterile. If you can imagine <laughs> yeah. that. Who was it? Who was it um, that ran the Boston marathon and she had an official, this iconic photo. I'll make sure I included the show. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy. Um, yeah. She, yeah. She, uh, yeah. <laughs> she entered as a, she got her boyfriend to enter for her and then kind of took his number and then ran it. Um, and, and an official came out and saw a woman here and he was so incensed that he ran out and sh tried to shove her, like tried to like knock her off the um, <laughs> track. Cause that's, that's yeah. insane that it's like in our lifetime, like it's, you think about the four minute mile and people said, well, if you run, there was all these doctors saying, if you run a four minute mile, your heart's going to explode in your chest. Yep. Like, yeah. So that was Catherine Switzer. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was, and that was, that was not that long ago. So, what? sorry, I interrupted, but just that the, for anyone who doesn't understand, like that's recent history, and the idea that women can't run marathons because they'll become sterile, or I don't know, <laughs> their legs will fall off, whatever else. <laughs> Apparently, um, our organs will fall out of yeah, our body. Yeah, just everything. Yeah, everything <laughs> will shut down. You know. So I remember. I mean, I was. Uh, 11 uh, at that time and I just remember watching this petite badass running in LA I remember watching her finish in the Coliseum uh, and then thinking about what it might be like to run 26.2 miles right um, and she was so humble like her her personality came through even at that moment and i have had the great fortune of knowing joni now pretty much my whole life um and she has been a constant reminder of what it means to push through boundaries and to expect a lot from the people around you um but walk the walk and then create space for people to be better um she's encouraged me a lot in my career so yeah, she, that's my, my favorite sporting moment because it really did define the next 30 years of my life. Um, that's and that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. It's why it's sport. It's why it's those moments and what it does and why um, this podcast is focused on that, why I work in it, why I'm sure 
you work in it as well, as you said. Um, and hopefully it's one of those things that, that um, the brands and the athletes or the, the brands working with these athletes of this generation then inspire a whole new generation and kind of 10x that, 100x it, 1,000x it. Um, oh, thankfully, that. there are a thousand Jonies for this generation. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. You know, uh, she was notable because she was unique. Um, and now, gratefully, her and many others have paved the way for this generations of Jonies, just amazing women in every sport around the world, kind of breaking those same barriers. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melanie, for your time. I'll include some footage to that in the show notes. Um, people can kind of relive that. And um, I'll also try and find, um, I think it's just a photo from the Boston Marathon. There's no footage, but just so it may be a link to even the Wikipedia for anyone who's not familiar with it. Read up. It's crazy that it was so recent. Um, mm -hmm. And thankfully, things have changed and continue to change. Uh, but thank you for being on Sports Tech Feed. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Thomas. Take care. There you have it. That was Melanie Strong, managing partner in Next Ventures. Uh, really interesting discussion covering everything across the VC world, uh, why her own personal journey came into that, um, and then some of the trends that are being seen in a, a post-COVID world. So obviously that continuing move to home fitness, um, the the kind of refocusing on health and wellness. Um, I think is, is something, it's really exciting space. So there's a lot in that. Uh, I will uh, share some stuff in the show notes. As I mentioned, um, some of uh, Mel's favorite sporting moments. I'll also include the stuff from the Boston Marathon um, in there. That's at sportstechfeed.com. Uh, if you want to take a look, you can go on there. That's all the show notes. We've got all the other episodes. If you've enjoyed today's show or any of our other shows, then please leave a review on Apple uh, Podcasts really helpful for spreading the word on what we're doing. As always, if you want to reach out to me, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. Uh, always great to hear about uh, what our listeners are up to and, and kind of how they're going with uh, their various businesses, challenges, what they're doing in COVID, and also uh, how the show is helping with their own learning and, and own development uh, in their careers. So if you want to continue the conversation, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. You've been listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Looking forward to seeing you next week.